We're going to look at a few verses in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, and we'll read from verse 11. For this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us? and bring it unto us, that we may hear it, and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth, and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, that thou mayest live, and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. It's an amazing passage this. Moses was coming to the end of his long speech. He'd been giving uh, advice and commands to the children of Israel encouraging them always to remember the Lord who was so gracious to them in redeeming them out of the land of Egypt. You know, perhaps some of his listeners were wondering about all these commands and the blessings and the cursings. How, how were they going to be able to follow them? Where had Moses got all these words from? He says the Lord was speaking. Were they difficult to understand and to follow? All these questions must have been coming through the minds of some of his listeners. Moses had said the Lord says. He was passing on what the Lord had told him. And we have the word of God. The word of God. We're standing on the word of God. It is the book our fathers fought for. 
It is the book our fathers died for. The word of God. Though the foes of the Lord may scorn his word, we're standing on the word of God. And that's what Moses based all his, his uh, speech on. The word of God. None of Moses' ideas came into this. It was what the Lord had said. And then Moses comes up with this, these few verses which are so amazing. That probably answered some of their queries. This is the commandment I command thee this day. And then he says it's not hidden. It's not something obscure. You're not going to have to go up to heaven or send somebody up to heaven to get it. You're not going to go across the seas. You know, I was thinking about that. Across the seas. Nowadays we have a, a string of people who go out to the east to all these gurus. They have the word of God beside them. You can go and buy a Bible anywhere. And yet they, they all go across the seas to hear and to try and find some other word other than the word of God. They were amazing words for an Israelite to hear. To them had been revealed the word of God. They did not have to go and search for it. It was here, right in their midst. Verse 14 actually is repeated in Romans chapter 10. You look at Romans 10. Verse 8. Paul speaking and he's saying, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What is that preaching that Paul does? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, to walk in the righteous ways of God. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I was thinking about that. Not be ashamed. If we really trust Christ as our Saviour, if we really believe that he has died for us, that he lives within us, we'll not be ashamed of him. The word dwelling within us. I was reminded of John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word of God. The living word of God. Dwelt with the father from all eternity. And then John 1 and 14. And the word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. John and Peter and James were. Very privileged to go up the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus. And then they saw the glory of God revealed. And the voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a wonderful experience. We beheld his glory. 
Only the, the, the three of them were, were privy to that wonderful experience. And he said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That was his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful testimony of our Lord, blessed Lord. He was full of grace and truth. Oh, if we could aspire to that kind of a life. A life where we it will be recognized by others that we are full of grace and full of truth. <clears throat> what a privilege it was for Moses to be able to tell the Israelites that the word of God was nigh them. But what a wonderful privilege for mankind. The living word made flesh and dwelling amongst his creatures. <clears throat> the living word dying for sinful man. Jesus, my Saviour, to Bethlehem came, born in a manger to sorrow and shame. Oh, it was wonderful. Blessed be his name coming for me. For me. Jesus, my Saviour, on Calvary's tree paid the great debt and my soul he set free. Oh, it was wonderful. How could it be? Dying for me. For me. Jesus, my Saviour, shall come from on high Sweet as the promise as weary years fly. Oh, I shall see him descending the sky, coming for me, for me. And we would say, like John in Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. The living word came, <clears throat> he died, and he sent his spirit to dwell within each one of us. The living word dwelling within the heart of those who believe on him, trust in him, and confess him as their Lord and Saviour. It was wonderful for the Israelites when Moses said, The word is very nigh unto thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. But for us, we have the spirit of the living word dwelling within us and Jesus said he'll never leave you he shall abide with you forever the world doesn't know anything about this but ye know him because you're my followers and you know we have like the Israelites and the world has the living word, very near, very near. To the unsaved, he is near to those who call upon him. Psalm 145 and verse 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him. But then it goes on to say, To all that call upon him in truth. Oh, many call upon God, but not in truth. Not in truth. And that's the problem. They call upon God for mercenary reasons, for flippant reasons. 
But they need to call upon God, confessing their sins, repenting and turning to him. Many call, but not many call in truth. And it goes on then in the second section. See, it says on verse 15, I've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. That was the choice, life and good or death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and that the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Then he goes on to say what will happen if they turn away and don't call upon him in truth. If thou wilt not hear, and shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce, I, in other words he said, I give formal notice, a very serious thing, a formal notice unto you this day, that ye shall surely perish. You'll perish. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing therefore choose life that you may live why would anybody not choose life well if you read the history of the children of Israel sadly they mostly chose death. You know, these verses put into words the, the same challenges that we should present to people when we preach the gospel. We need to be more definite in what we present when we preach the gospel. You listen to some of the radio programs, uh, the, the church services. They don't present the gospel. They don't present the facts. What are the pros and the cons of the preaching of the gospel? The trend these days is to present the gospel of social works. A type of accept Christ and then continue on as you did before. We present a lifestyle which is customer friendly. Not too much about the sinful nature of man. But plenty to satisfy those in the pews by not disturbing them from their comfortable lifestyles. We get plenty of worldly type music entertainment style church services you know the type of thing as I was thinking on these verses I, I, I read an article by a chap called Paul Proctor and it, it's very apt 
to what we're talking about here today. He, he called it the situation is grave. Are you? <laughs> you know, we have listening to our televisions and the radios these days, and we're being constantly bombarded with the fact that our country is in a grave situation. That disaster looms unless we do something about it. The situation is grave. We live in grave times. You know, in the in the New Testament, about three times the word grave is used as an adjective. Just three times, I think. First Timothy three verse eight. Likewise must the deacons be grave. Now Proctor mentioned this and he's saying that the word grave has been taken out of most of the modern translations. But he says the deacons must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. On a few verses in chapter 3, verse 11, even so must the wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. And in Titus then, he, he says the aged men, Titus 2, 2, Paul says the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. We look around churches today, and sadly, we do not see many grave men. Now that doesn't mean they have to look like uh, undertakers and look solemn and all the rest of it. But their attitude towards the world, towards the gospel, towards the faith, towards those in the churches, has to have that character which causes people to recognize in them something of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we see a word like being grave used for people who are leaders within the church, it should make us sit up and wonder what kind of people these grave people have to be. Paul, what did Paul mean when he said they have to be grave? It would appear that a grave person it should be able to be recognised as such. How? Well, it seems by his honourable character, which somehow inspires others to recognise his godly qualities within the church. He might not be recognised entirely by the whole church as being the person who should be leading or maybe he doesn't lead but there should be people men and women within the church who are noted by their honourable character and that inspires others 
to try and emulate them and follow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It also applied to the women, the wives of these leaders, these pastors that Paul said were to be grave. What other qualities are there in these few passages where grave is mentioned, which makes them notable within the church? Well, one is not double-tongued, not double-tongued. Saying one thing today and another thing tomorrow to suit the audience. No, a grave person is someone who is a straight talker. And when he says something, you know what he means. <laughs> Politicians nowadays, you try and get a straight answer for them. Or if you repeat something that they said yesterday, they'll give you a reason why they're not saying that thing today. Double-tongued. We need to be careful with our language. That what we say is in complete accord with the word of God. And if we do that, then we won't have to speak, in, as the Indians used to say, he speaks with a forked tongue. Not given to much wine. I thought that probably is, it gives the feeling that he's not really interested in the social round. And keeping him with the right people. Not greedy for profit and commercial gain. We know all about greed in the world. We've had the bank crisis. We've had the politicians with their expenses. We've seen greed come right into our homes. But then, let's see what he says. Sound in faith, sound in faith, able to proclaim the faith and hold to it because of a pure conscience. These grave men walked in close harmony with God. Their conscience before God was pure. And before they could be regarded as leaders, it said they should be blameless in these points. My goodness. Not many people would put themselves forward as leaders. But these people will be recognized because they are grave. And the wives. Well, what applies to the wives, I'm sure, applies equally to the men. And what applies to the men, I think equally applies to the wives. Not slanderers. Not slanderers. How easy it is to slip in to the ways of the world and shove in a, the odd bit of unsubstantiated gossip into our conversation. Not slanderers. The tongue is a dangerous thing. 
like the rudder of a ship. It can cause problems. Goes on to say sober, vigilant, watchful in all of our actions so that no offence is given to others. And the last a bit for the wives there in First Timothy 3.11 faithful in all things that covers everything happily married able to ruin their old families we live in grave times we live in grave times we need grave men and women to be in our churches and it's all summed up in verse 16 of Deuteronomy chapter 30 love the Lord thy God and walk in his ways that's all Moses wanted the children of Israel to do to love God and to walk in his ways But they didn't. May we learn daily to walk in the ways of God. And verse 20 then. Final bit of advice at the end of this speech. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God. And that thou mayest obey his voice. And that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life. What had been presented to these people? He had presented them life and all the blessings by trusting God. When we preach the gospel, we are offering people the difference between life and death. Life and all the blessings that flow to us through Jesus Christ, accepted by God have an inheritance prepared for us in heaven having the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ will take us to be with himself choose life or death that's what we're handing out to people the difference between life and death not about a, a, a new way of life and carry on with the old way of life and just turn over a few new leaves no it's a completely new start a new creation in Christ Jesus our message is a grave message a matter of life and death The church service for a funeral, I think the term is, in the midst of life, we are in death. And if you really believe that, that's a grave situation, if you haven't chosen life. You know, when somebody dies, and you say, meet somebody... Say, did you know that so and so died? Oh, I was only speaking to him yesterday. As if 
that made any difference? What's the reaction that most people come up with? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We are holding out to the people in the world something which is a matter of life and death. The gospel is for today. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. It's not for tomorrow. Boast not thyself for tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. May we, each one of us, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, be recognised as being grave men. <laughs>